welcome to Radio Freak Utopia, the podcast about global LGBTI human rights. I'm your host, Ian Likas, and here on Radio Freak Utopia, I'm your guide to the creative, urgent work taking place all around the world to make our communities more welcoming for LGBTI people. Today on the podcast, we'll be tackling 2017's biggest story in global LGBTI human rights, the persecution of LGBTI people in Chechnya. I'll be speaking with Kamali Powell, the executive director of Rainbow Railroad. Based in Toronto, Rainbow Railroad has been at the forefront of the response to the crisis in Chechnya, working very closely with the Russian LGBT network to get persecuted LGBTI Chechens to safety. Before we start my interview with Kamali, let me bring you up to speed on what's been happening in Chechnya over the last few months. At the beginning of April, Novia Gazeta an independent Russian newspaper, reported that Chechen authorities had detained more than 100 gay men, quote, in connection with their non-traditional sexual orientation. In late May, Human Rights Watch reported that Chechnya's law enforcement and security officials had, in February, launched an anti-gay purge. These officials rounded up dozens of gay men on suspicion of being gay, held them in unofficial detention facilities for days, and humiliated, starved, and tortured them. The Chechen authorities forcibly disappeared some of these men, while others were returned to their families barely alive from the beatings they had suffered. Their captors exposed them to their families as gay and encouraged their relatives to carry out so-called honor killings. Chechnya's leader, Ramzan Kadyrov, has denied the roundups, and Kadyrov's spokesman called the reports in deten- of detention and abuse, quote, absolute lies and disinformation. He denied the existence of LGBTI people in the region and, alluding to the so-called honor killings of LGBTI people, said that, quote, if such people existed in Chechnya, law enforcement would not have to worry about them as their own relatives would have sent them to where they could never return. Despite promises to investigate these human rights violations, Chechen authorities have instead threatened the journalists from Novaya Gazeta who broke the story, as well as the Russian LGBT worker network working to tirelessly to get gay Chechens to safety. In its report, Human Rights Watch found that the purge affected more than 100 people in Chechnya. Once Chechen authorities had captured their victims, the police would scour the victims' cell phones looking for contacts of other men who might be gay, torture those men into naming other gay men, and capture those named. This is how the numbers of those detained and abused grew. Several individuals allegedly died as a result of the purge. At least as of the late May Human Rights Watch report, several of the gay men reportedly reportedly, uh, remain in detention. Many of those who have been released have fled Chechnya, but they still face the double risk of being hunted down and harmed both by Chechen security forces and their own families as long as they remain in Russian territory. Some gay and bisexual men chose to flee Chechnya altogether, despite not being directly affected by the purge, because they fear information about them was found in the victims' cell phones or revealed by victims under torture. Later this year, I'm hoping to interview someone from the Russian LGBT network to talk about the crisis in Chechnya and more broadly the current state of LGBTI human rights in Russia. Today, I'm very excited to bring you the conversation I had with Kamali Powell to talk about Rainbow Railroad's urgent work getting LGBTI Chechens to safety, as well as their important work helping LGBTI people in immediate threat of danger from all around the world. And here is my conversation with Kamali Powell. 
this is Ian Likas speaking with uh, Kamali Powell from Rainbow Railroad based in Toronto. Um, Rainbow Railroad's been in the news you know, lately for its work with uh, gay men trying to escape Chechnya. Can you tell me about what your organization is doing and who you, you know who your organization you know, what your organization is? Sure. So um, Rainbow Railroad is a um, Railroad is an organization that's based in Toronto, Canada, with a mandate to help LGBTQ2I individuals who are facing persecution. And what, what we do is that we help them find a pathway to safety. Um, when we were founded in 2006 uh, from a small group of volunteers that were just concerned with some of the with the persecution of individuals uh, stemming from state-sponsored homophobia and criminalization. And so they set out to put together resources and help individuals as as funds made it, were made available. And in 2013, we made the decision to really get a little bit more organized. We set up um, ourselves as a not-for-profit charity in Canada because the need demanded a little bit more organization. Uh, and so we, we've slowly been increasing, actually not slowly, dramatically been increasing the amount of people we've been able to help. You know, in, 20, in 2015, we helped 29 individuals. Uh, in 2016, 81. Uh, and since this year, uh, 98 individuals. Wow. And so, and that was over 700 requests last year. And so we were, you know, we are one of the, few organizations, if not the only organization, doing this direct triage work on a large scale. We, we do three things. When we get a request to safety, we help, uh, we obviously assess the case and, and, and verify the case and, and link the individual to uh, contacts or civil society on the ground. Uh, we have contacts from uh, all across the world in various organizations. Uh, and then we provide um, pre- uh, travel support, uh, supporting with documentation, supporting with the, the asylum process, um, finding out which the pathway for safety is best for that individual. And then the third and most important, we get them on a plane. We, we purchase a ticket and then we get them somewhere to safety. Uh, and then give some very minimal post-settlement support. Uh, we're not a settlement agency. Well, what we do is we get people out of data situations and connect them with services when they arrive. So I'll just say when the Chechen situation hit, uh, you know, we were faced, uh, once we, we, we did what we usually do, uh, we, you know, we did not necessarily uh, think that this would be, a, uh, you know, an international kind of incident. Uh, we were just directly concerned about whether we could, we were in a position to help individuals. And so we, we did what we normally do. We, uh, we assessed uh, the situation on ground. We connected with our partners, uh, such like Human Rights Watch or the International Lesbian Gay Association, to which I'm a member of the board, uh, and then got directly in contact with the, with the Russian LGBT network, who, who, was, who has been and continues to do the real important work of connecting, of uh, getting people into safe houses who have fled. And that, so we, we established that partnership uh, I guess six weeks ago now, which seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, and um, we are just committed to making sure that we help everyone that wishes to leave Russia. Terrific. I was going to say, I have about 12 follow-up questions, but probably Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. that's how this works. Uh, yeah. So 
sort of working backwards, can you tell us more about the partnership? And I realize that, you know, unlike many of the interviews I do, we have particular concerns today about sort of protecting, you know, refugee and asylum seekers' uh, privacy. So talking, trying to find the right blend of talking, giving people a sense of what's going on, what's, what are the specifics without actually endangering anybody either on the ground or even if they have reached a safer country. Sure. So, so sorry, just to understand the nature of the partnership with the, the Russian LGBT network. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So again, uh, you know, the the network is, you know, a a group of really skilled individuals who've done a lot of advocacy work. But even this crisis is a new situation for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, where what we have been in a position to do is to do what we is what we have expertise in, and is help bring people to safety. Uh, and so. The there and there are two separate factors here, right? There's there's the issue of of what's happening in uh, in Chechnya, the system, the systemic detention of individuals, and the really just kind of cruel um, tactics being used to um, isolate and humiliate people in Chechnya. The the diplomatic concerns, right, and the um, and that and the is outside of the scope of what we do and what we are what we have the capacity to do. What many people have the capacity to do. It's a bit. It's a bigger diplomatic issues that have many state leaders uh, involved, including many from the United States. Uh, so that is not what we are able to focus on. And to and to an extent, the Russian LP network is you know, investigating what legally can be done and, and certainly doing a lot of international diplomacy there. Um, what we can do is focus on the individuals who have fled Chechnya into various um, safe houses in Russia uh, and then wish to leave the country. That's exactly what we do. That's, a, that, that, that's exactly what falls within our mandate. And so mm-hmm. that's what we're focused on. Uh, and we know there are about, you know, uh, about forty individuals that have managed to um, escape into the and have been um, who have uh, set, sought refuge in these safe houses, mm-hmm. and we will work with anyone that wishes to leave. I, I I personally just came back from Moscow. We sent a small delegation there to do key informant interviews uh, because the nature of our work is we usually deal directly with an individual and then connect them with an organization. This is a little bit of a unique situation where we had an organization that uh, had, was housing people, uh, but we didn't necessarily have direct access to them, uh, which was an important part of the final stages of helping get people out. Terrific. And uh, what kind of support are you receiving from you know, LGBTIQ uh, a, and uh, folks around the world, uh, from the Canadian government, uh, from other partners? Um, support by means of, you know, encouragement or financial support? Or, or financial support, uh, practical uh, support, uh, all the things that go into the, you know, fulfilling the mission of Rainbow Railroad. So our organization does not, uh, I do not, we do not accept any government funding. It's very uh, important part of uh our philosophy and maintaining autonomy in what we do, mm-hmm. uh, at least at the moment. Uh, and so, you know, the, and we're not an advocacy organization as, 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 as 
as actually has been mischaracterized in some media reports. Mm -hmm. um, what we are, what we do is direct humanitarian work. In this particular case, uh, again, you know, when I, when I made the decision to investigate intervention, it, it really was just a factor of looking at our budget and seeing within the cases that we wanted to help support this year, could I carve out some resources for, you know, this one area and see if we could do something with, without understanding just the nature of, I think the hor the horrifying nature of, of some of the reports, I think shocked a lot of people into action. Uh, now I will say that some of the media reports have just been false. Um, I think the, the nature of a concentration camp is not particularly helpful uh, and was, has never been helpful. But I think uh, the, what we do know is that people, young people, like, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old men and, and women um, are being, you know, uh, coerced into dangerous situations. I mean, literally being misled to think they're, they're meeting someone that they know and then being met up with a, you know, a militia of sorts and being brought into these detention areas. I think the nature of those really horrific kind of um, uh, stories, I, I think, have concerned a lot of people. And so there has been a groundswell of individual support that we have been grateful for. Um, and, you know, we've earmarked funds to go directly to the Russian LGBT network as well as a partner on this work. Uh, and so we have committed to flights for anyone that wants to travel. Uh, and we can do that. Now we're in a position to do that because of this, because of the community support. Part of this, part of this crisis, what this crisis did is it, it it created a necessary dialogue with the Canadian government, uh, which started back with the, the, your president's travel ban. Uh, and, and I say that what was striking about the travel ban was our government's, our prime minister's response to the travel ban was that Canada, um, he quite famously at the time noted that Canada would be a home for people seeking refuge as a direct response. I don't know if you were, if you were, your, your listeners would have recalled that happening, but it did create this real, it was a strong, powerful statement. Uh, and what it told us was that it, we had to, although we're not an advocacy organization in good conscience, we could not witness this crisis and be directly involved in this crisis and not see if Canada is an option for individuals who wish to leave the country. One of the, one of the, I think, things that people don't realize about our organization is that even though we're Canadian based, we don't bring them, the people to safety to Canada uh, because Canada's immigration policy is tough. Uh, and so we bring most of the people to safety to Europe, uh, various countries in Europe, um, with a small group of people in Canada, but this direct crisis um, forced a forced demanded a, a conversation with the government about whether Canada is willing to take a leadership role in helping bring people to safety in the country. That's very useful. Certainly, even I was originally under the impression that most people were being resettled in Canada and slowly picked up along the way. That wasn't quite the story. No, no, and yeah, it's uh, it surprises most people. Yeah. 
Um, and perhaps, you know, for those folks who, you know, sort of have heard, you, you referred to sort of the, you know, not particularly helpful language of concentration camps, people seeing headlines, but not necessarily knowing a whole lot more of the details. You know, we're recording this in mid-June. What's your sense of what's happening at this point in the crisis? I, I think the, what has been, while I say that the, the, the term concentration camp is not the appropriate sense, uh, I, what I mean by that is I think there are images of, you know, this one major facility where people have been permanently detained and they're, you know, trapped, which is not exactly what's happening from all of our, from all the reports that we've received and information that we have. Um, the nature of the detention is actually less, is in some ways, I think, more scary because it's completely random. Uh, individuals are, again, um, you know, there's networks to which individuals kind of gather, uh, not unlike, you know, the, the, the networks that we know here in North America or there. Uh, and so individuals are connecting with people who they uh, think or assume are, you know, friends, new or old, um, and um, are connecting with those individuals and then being entrapped um, with, against their will and being taken, you know, um, being taken to different sites, different police stations. Usually they don't know where they're going. They've got sacks on their heads. They're the consistent, the consistent image from all of the cases that we held were this idea, this notion of a militia of individuals that are um, rounding them up. Uh, and so um, I think the... And then they're confronted with the goal of getting more names. That's part of the actual objective is to receive more individual names. Once they receive more individual names, then they're returned to their families, told that they were gay or bisexual, and asked what they're going to do about it. And so this handing over to, from the state to their families to is what puts them in a dangerous situation and, when, and, and what caused them to flee. Yeah, and the story of digital entrapment is one that I want to pursue in other interviews as well. You know, mm -hmm. it speaks to the way that this is not, you know, while our attention is on Chechnya, uh, this kind of uh, persecution is hardly unique to this one place in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, um, you know, we, I'm not sure why we, we tend to, um, I don't want to say cherry pick which crises we be, that cat we become focused on, but uh, you know there is some there is a lot of questions and soul searching for us as a community about when we get outraged on crises. Just right now, you know we're very concerned with the situation in Indonesia, uh, where you know people are being flogged and um, uh, and also detained. Uh, we're very concerned about the humanitarian crisis in uh, Kenya where individuals uh, who have tried to seek asylum there, many of them from Uganda and other countries, only to have like really horrible conditions as LGBTQI individuals. Um, you know, and there's a story in Iran recently of, you know, I think about 30 individuals also raided um, and, and detained. And so this is happening all over the world every day. It's, it's the nature of kind of what we face as, as an organization. Um, and 
the the tactics are somewhat similar in in, in some of these countries. Um, in terms of the digital entrapment. Yeah, that's right. Uh, people being coerced into situations and, and and then you know raids happening um, or you know the, the, now the situation check is unique to its kind of it seems like a state sponsored plan here mm-hmm. um, now that's just a hypothesis of mine but I mean it's it, it that's how it feels it's somewhat different than the others right certainly in other places we're seeing the state at, at the very least you know signing off on you know you know vigilantes or, you know, organized militias or whatnot. Right. Um, so, you know, sort of what's distinct about Chechnya and what is not distinct are things, you know, we'll tease out. Um, but I will say, just on that, it's not necessarily relevant to our work, right? We're meaning that, you know, it's all, it's all, all horrific and it all demands um, action as long as these individuals wish to leave um, our job is to help them out. Right. And, you know, sort of, I first became aware of Rainbow Railroad, not through Chechnya, but through its work resettling Syrians. Mm-hmm. And it makes me, and certainly, you know, even when you run ran the numbers of people that Rainbow Railroad has helped, clearly those folks are coming from all over the world, not just Chechnya. Right. You know, can you tell us about, like, first... Uh, some of the distinct issues that LGBTIQ you know, refugees and asylum seekers face, distinct from other asylum seekers or refugees. Yeah, there's two processes. So what's unique about the Syrian the Syrian refugees that we helped bring is that it was part of a one year plan uh, where the government brought in 25,000 refugees into Canada, um, and so it was a very specific opportunity for us to bring. Um, uh, some gay men into the country, uh, which is uh, before challenging. The region was a challenge for us just because of um, the nature of trying to escape from a war zone. Uh, and so the this was a unique opportunity for us to actually bring some people in from the region. Um, the, you know, as far as direct um, issues faced by LGBTQI individuals, there, there are a number. You know, I think I think it's also where I'd start is their process, even in claiming asylum. the The reason why the the UNHCR mechanism is challenging, uh, so working through the UN agency, uh, a is because the nature of refugees and supports are usually around families, uh, and and single men usually get. A, they're just um, a, they're discriminated against, and they're usually put, you know, usually put to the bottom of the list. So that's a unique challenge that many men face going through the UNHCR process. Then there's also uh, some challenges uh, from um, the there's some challenges from discrimination with the UNHCR process at times uh, because uh, you have some homophobia within the pro- uh, the process at times. Uh, and, and then there's questions of wait periods, uh, just the amount of time individuals have to wait to go through that process. Uh, and then, of course, there's a process of what happens uh, when they're waiting to get their claim. Uh, you know, there's they're usually feeling facing direct persecution 
um, from either the state or their families or their communities. Uh, so there's a certain amount of stress and trauma going on at the same time as well. And so these are the multitude of factors that they're facing when they're when they're approaching us. Uh, and you know we do everything we can to help facilitate and navigate the, those kind of um, hurdles as they're going through the process. And as far as resettlement, you know, um, we try, we do everything we can to make sure that individuals are going to a country where they can get the supports they need, uh, whether it's, um, of course, just financial support, but also, you know, community support as well. Um, there are, um, people that we help that, um, that have issues, health concerns related to HIV or other health concerns. Uh, and so we want to, we make sure that there is a direct, um, opportunities for services once they arrive into their home country as well. And then of course there's the, the reality of finding a new community, um, and, um, uh, doing so in isolation. Again, when most people travel, they're, um, the refugee claims are doing it either as families or doing it with the support of the community, where usually these individuals are isolated on their own when they come to us for help. Where are some of the other urgent uh, issues? You've already mentioned Bangladesh, Indonesia, Kenya. Um, you know, are those also significant sources of you know where you're getting inquiries from, or where else are we getting inquiries from these days? We get so most people that we help are, are still in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because the Caribbean is a hotbed of violence um, uh, for the LGBTQI individual uh, community, Jamaica a particular concern, uh, and so that's still where the majority of our requests come from, and where we have our deep-rooted connections allow us to move individuals um, with a high degree of success. We also have a number of cases, significant number of cases last year came from Uganda. Mm -hmm. um, and I mentioned Uganda briefly in talking relation to Kenya, but uh, Uganda is also uh, an area of concern. Um, the Iran, Iran is another area of concern. Um, there are some countries in South South Asia that we're also uh, seeing concerns about. Um, even some that don't criminalize uh, same sex behavior. Uh, so we've got a, a number of requests coming from Bangladesh, and Pakistan. Uh, other countries in the region as well, and you're so, and likewise, you're helping them resettle all over. That's right. That's right. You know, we uh, one question that people ask. I don't know if it's on your list, but people many people ask us how we prioritize our cases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it really is a kind of confluence of uh, access. Um, so the, the individual having enough information for us to help. Uh, access to networks on the ground uh, and then an actual travel route that would work for that individual because um, it really does vary from person to person. We, we might have a route for one person but we they don't have a access to a passport for example uh, and so it really um, it, 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 a big part of our work is kind of pouncing on opportunities when they arise and depending on the case and so we might have a case that's in um, the Middle East that's going nowhere, then all of a sudden um, we we found a connection through an embassy or an access to um, a visa opportunity, and then that person um, all of a sudden is travel ready and a lot quicker than another case. And so we, you know, we 
are we while we are able to help more and more people, the, the percentage of people that we're able to help is still lower than I'd like it to be. Uh, and of course, that's a that's a mixture of resources uh, and also just the state of the situation facing these individuals. And of course, access, part of our conversation with the Canadian government is uh, having access to more emergency visas uh, or an emergency travel protection program into Canada would certainly make our jobs easier uh, and would provide more opportunities for uh, for us to help more people. Do you think we have reason to be optimistic that there will be more such emergency visas? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm hopeful. I think the we were quite surprised uh, pleasantly to be mentioned specifically by the Prime Minister during question period. Uh, when um, challenged about the situation in Chechnya, uh, he specifically mentioned international coalitions, including our organization as a, as a partnership. And so that was really important. It was a really important symbol that our conversations that have been on, that are ongoing will deliver um, results. Uh, you know, as it relates to the specific Chechen situation, mm -hmm. any intervention from any country, to be honest, um, in a large scale would would have to be done with discretion uh, and would pose a significant amount of challenges just practically and dip diplomatically uh, when you're removing individuals from one country to another. Uh, and so um, very mindful of the need for discretion there. Um, the other piece of it, on, a, on an ongoing basis, though, I think mm -hmm. there are things that the Canadian government can do uh, with us. There are mechanisms um, such as a, increasing the amount of government-assisted refugees who are labeled as LGBTQI that can come into Canada, uh, but also issuing uh, what are called temporary resident permits mm -hmm. to individuals that want to arrive in the country. And so there are all that to say that the government has tools that it can use if uh, the LGBTQI community is designated a vulnerable population that the country that the country wants to be focused on. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we can. I think there are ways that we can work together. Great. Um, one of the things, as you were talking, as I was thinking both about the Chechen situation and more generally Rainbow Railroad's work, you know, mentioning you know the coverage of Chechnya has mentioned you know gay men, you know, talking about refugees, often we're talking about single men, you know, traveling without families. To what degree are these stories about gay men, bi men, as opposed to, you know, uh, people who are identified, you know, two lesbians, to bi women, um, what's distinct yeah. there? I think there's a lot of civil society uh, that is concerned about the, the lack of focus on women, and, you know, they're the, in relation directly to the Chechen crisis, the situation with women is somewhat different. Uh, you're hearing stories of the detention being happen, uh, happening not by the state necessarily, but by the family. Uh, and so uh, one example is, you know, a woman you know, forced imprisonment in someone's home, in their own home, right, by the family for months at a time, um, forced into marriage in order to deal with after being confronted with their sexuality. Uh, and so that's, and so because 
the situation is being quote unquote taken care of by the family, you're not hearing it as far as these reports of people rounding up and they have not captured the same amount of attention. But there, there is, um, there is reason to be very concerned about the situation facing women in the region as well. And we, we help, you know, we help quite a number of women. Um, and, and there are, they're, they're facing just the same type of persecution in some ways, um, even, um, worse, you know, we, we've heard cases of, of corrective rape, for example, um, facing lesbians, uh, lesbians who are being shot, um, you know, lesbians who are, um, um, uh, being, um, mutilated. Uh, and so, and we're also concerned about trans individuals as well who are facing persecution. A lot of the, a lot of people that we help in Jamaica do identify as trans. Um, and so there, we hear the narratives and get concerned about gay men, but that's certainly not the only individuals who are facing persecution and who come to us for help. And with trans and gender nonconforming people, are you also facing just issues with uh, identity documents as part of the challenge? That's right. That's a big challenge. How, of course. How does that play out? Um, you know, I think the, so the, the trans cases that we've worked on tend to take a little bit longer, mm -hmm. um, as far as getting supports and documentations and issues, you know, now in, in some cases, the, the individuals that we help, um, have not finished transitioning yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they have, documentation that will allow them to travel in safety. Um, and, and those happen to be the ones that are easier for us to process. Uh, but there are a lot of, unfortunately there are, we, we are not able to help as many trans individuals as we'd like currently. Um, but we, we're, we're working on, do, we're, we're working on trying to increase our capacity to do that. And again, sort of understanding that, you know, the limits to what you can talk about for people's privacy and safety, but what might a, you know, a recent, I hate the word success because it sort of is so inappropriate to the situation, but a productive case look like, you know, you know, from beginning to end. Sure. Uh, so, you know, we brought, we managed to move seven individuals from, uh, the region, um, from Russia out of Chechnya. And I, I can say that we are, plans are on their way to move a lot more mm -hmm. in the coming weeks. Uh, and we're in the final stages are really, um, uh, and so we, I think we have seen significant movement in our end on that particular crisis. You know, for us getting, uh, so I was so in. I was just in Washington, for example, for DC Pride March, and one of the individuals that accompanied me was is based in New York, uh, and is someone that we helped from Jamaica. And that individual, um, fled, uh, we got that person out from Jamaica in Orlando, actually, uh, and by just way of coincidence, he was he was planning on going to Pulse nightclub. Um, the, 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 the night of the, that shooting, um, but for reasons that are unclear, uh, was not there. Uh, and so 
after the after the shooting, he decided to move to New York and try to settle there, um, and has slowly started to build a community there. Um, and you know that was two years ago. He was you know his home was raided in Jamaica with people there going with the intention of killing him. Uh, and so this is how people's lives change, and based on this this direct intervention. Um, it really is a new lease on life for a lot of these individuals. Um, for him, that, that was his first pride that he's ever marched at. And, and, and he just, it, it was a marvel for him to see, you know, we have, there's lots of debates about the importance of pride. Uh, but for him, uh, it was a pretty magical experience just to see so many people celebrating being free. And so that, and that is ultimately why we do the work is that we, while, while there's a lot more that we, that, that I'm thinking about what we can do, uh, again, we're not a settlement agency. And so we do have a lot of, um, concerns about making sure that we give individuals as much of a chance as possible to kind of survive and thrive in their new environment. What we do know is that they, have left a situation where their lives were in danger um, and that they're somewhere where they're safe. That is fantastic and you know, so important. Um, and you mentioned a few times during our conversation about sort of the you know, trauma, um, you know, about sort of what people are enduring. And, you know, obviously Rainbow Railroad is also not a, you know, psychological services uh organization but are you able to point people in the direction to get past to begin healing is a better phrase yes yeah that you know um we 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 that's part of what we do when we try to connect people to services is making sure you know it, that includes kind of agencies that do some degree of psychological services uh you know that this one of the things, for example, for the individuals in, in Russia from Chechnya, I think, you know, a, a lot of people have asked, you know, what's taking so long? <laughs> uh, because, you know, we, we want to see kind of results right away, right? Or, and especially if these individuals are facing a dangerous situation. I think one of the, one of the, and even us as an organization wanted to kind of see how we can kind of get this done as quickly as possible for the sake of the individuals. Uh, and then you come into the realization that some of the, some of the individuals, when you ask them where they want to go, they say they just want to go home, right? That they are, that they, that this, in this particular instance, we're talking about um, a, a somewhat forced migration because they, they, they fled because they felt they had no choice. And so just over the, for the first couple of weeks, they were feeling pretty traumatizing. I think they just had to cope with the fact that they had left their homes with very little, uh, and that they're not coming back. And, and, and again, I mentioned it earlier, but the age factor is important here that, you know, many of them are, you know, 19 to 21, um, really kind of young, early 20s, maybe a few earlier, but um, still just um, uh, coming of age um, and and making plans for their futures when this happened. Uh, so yeah, it's a very traumatic experience for them. And I know that's one of the things that, 
uh, has been for many of them, they needed some time to just catch their breath uh, and get some support, some counseling um, as they make huge decisions for their lives. Right. Um, the idea to flee to countries maybe across, you know, uh, across the pond or, or is a big, mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, and so we, we want certainly for the other cases that we help, we make sure that we give them as much information and support before they make the decision. So they understand what decision they're making, uh, that they have complete autonomy over that decision. Uh, and that they can find the support they need either before they leave the country or once they arrive into the new country. Great. So you've been in this role since November, um, and the Chechen <laughs> probably seems like five years by now. Um, and obviously the Chechen situation wasn't even on your radar when you took this position. So mm-hmm. what brought you to Rainbow Railroad, and you know why you know is it so why is it important to you? So I've been you know the. I started, I was approached about this position, um, I think in September of last year, uh, having uh, done international development work for most of my career. Uh, I spent five years with a really um, amazing organization called the Canadian HIV-AIDS Legal Network uh, that does a lot of legal policy work. And one of the, one piece that was really important to me in my time there uh, was help, um, help put in place the, the resources and the, um, uh, the connections to help the organization launch Jamaica's first, or sorry, second challenge to its anti-Sami law. And so this organization, another Canadian organization doing international work that's taking a leadership role here on the, anti, on the buggery law in Jamaica, so, so Jamaica's same-sex, uh, or, or, actually not, it's actually a law that criminalizes sodomy, uh, so it effectively, it can affect straight intercourse as well, but we'll get into all that. Uh, but the, and so LGBTQI rights has just been important for me for a long part of my career as well, as well as um, issues like HIV and the intersection of HIV and criminalization. And so um, I, it was just a, when I heard about the organization, and I heard about the organization for a while, uh, thought it was doing really great work. And when I was approached, about taking over uh, as executive director, I thought it was a really unique opportunity um, to really help the organization grow. It's also, you know, a as someone, as a member of the community uh, who was born in Canada, uh, I realized the amount of privilege that comes uh, with being a Canadian-born citizen. Uh, when I was in Jamaica, I, I, I and in at my time at the Legal Network, we were doing work in Jamaica. We marched in Pride in Montego Bay. And it was the second time it happened. It was in a secure location. We did these flash demonstrations, um, and you know, with a bit of a bit of fear. Uh, but um, it was it was during my time there. Uh, my mother holidays in Jamaica every year, and. And she's very supportive, uh, an unfortunate type of supportive family. Um, and, you know, it dawned on her, like it dawned on me, that as youngest, as the youngest of six, uh, I could have very well been, all my siblings were born in Jamaica except for myself. Uh, and I could have very well found myself in a position where I 
was one of the people who we currently help. Um, but by way of being born in Canada, I'm able to live a free life. And, and so that the Rainbow Railroad's direct change, uh, the specific, the specificity of its mission, the, the idea that we can immediately impact someone's life by removing them from a dangerous situation. I think all those pieces of what is what compelled me to the organization. Oh, terrific. You know, terrific to hear. And I appreciate your sharing that with us. Um, what, you know, sort of, I know that your time is probably running short. Um, what else should we know about Rainbow Railroad that we haven't covered? What else can you know, listeners do to support this work? So I think there are three things that individuals can do. Uh, one, of course, um, you can go to www.rainbowrailroad.ca um, and make a contribution if you're able to. Um, we have a donate page there. That's one clear, tangible thing that people can do. But you know, you don't have to just give money. Uh, and even if you and if you don't have money to give, you could also, you know, give us your hearts. And what I mean by that is. Uh, we were a really well-kept secret up until a few months ago, and we continue to be for many people who are not directly engaged in this issue. And so it's really important that people, especially in the in Western countries like Canada, the U.S., where um, there's, by all appearances, we have, um, you know, equal marriage and, and, and rights under the law, um, although I'm sure you're realizing in the U.S. that those laws can be, that, that those laws are fragile. Uh, but I think um, I think letting people know about the the persecution of LGBTQI people abroad by you know liking our Facebook page and to connect people with just information about uh, persecution is is helpful. And then third, um, you know, in relation to um, either the Chechen situation. It is still, there are two real things that people can do. They can, uh, if you're in the United States, you can talk to your um, your representative, your, um, your congressperson, uh, and talk to them, tell them you're concerned about the situation facing LGBTQI individuals. But you could also uh, connect with um, the foreign minister, Chrystia Freeland, in Canada, and let her know that um, uh, Canada has a unique opportunity here to uh, show the world that they're leaders on LGBTQI rights and that you're hopeful that there's a response. Hopefully we'll have some Canadian listeners also be able to contact their MPs. Yes. Uh, cool. Uh, any last thoughts or you know, words you know, before we let you go? Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 this has been a really, uh, you know, it's an important opportunity to kind of talk about these issues with some degree of um, detail and length. Um, uh, we're in such a soundbite culture um, that we we've heard about this crisis from you know either clickable pages or two minute bites, and so um, I just encourage readers to really um, understand the 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 persecution that people around the world face. You know, I'd say there are seven hundred people seems like a lot, but I, I don't think scratches the surface about the amount of people who don't know about our organization and our work, and so. Um, we need to stay vigilant and um, kind of supportive of of these international rights as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. 
So that's my conversation with Kamali Powell. I want to thank him and his staff for arranging this conversation, taking time out of their urgent, important work to speak with me the other week. I also want to note all the important uh, research and reporting on the crisis in Chechnya that went into making this episode. I particularly want to note the work coming out from Human Rights First, uh, from NPR, The Guardian, and BuzzFeed, and especially from Human Rights Watch. In the episode notes and on our website, radiofreakutopia.org, a link to uh, the Human Rights Watch report, as well as to the websites for Rainbow Railroad and the Russian LGBT Network. If you liked what you heard today, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Free Qtopia. That's Radio Free, the letter Q, Topia, T-O-P-I-A. And please tell your friends about us. If you're interested, please subscribe to Radio Free Qtopia on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also take a moment to rate Radio Free Qtopia on Apple Podcasts or on Google Play, Stitcher, and so on. Every rating will help us reach more listeners, build a podcast community, and get the stories of these important change makers out to more and more people. If you're really excited about Radio Freak Utopia, please take a moment to consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash radiofreakutopia. Your support will allow me to create this podcast, including for me to travel to interview activists uh, in their own communities and to make the podcasts sound quality better and better. Uh, finally, I just want to once more thank uh, everyone who helped me get this podcast going, especially to the hundred or so original donors who uh, contributed to the original Indiegogo campaign. Uh, my deepest thanks go out to all of you, especially the podcast's original major donors, David Arenstein and Darcy Mercereau, Michael Tino, Joseph Barrios, Jen Gilbert, Stephen Bennett, and Mihai Patru, Tamia Buckingham, and thanks, Mom. Check back in two weeks for our next episode of Radio Freakutopia. Again, thanks for listening.